Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 81 of Conquering Columbus. And today on the show, we have Nathan Hurt. And Nathan has done a lot in the startup world over the years. And right now, though, he's working with two co-founders, Dan Franzak and Sean Price, on Healthy Roster, a software startup aimed at giving parents peace of mind when it comes to handling injuries their children sustain while playing youth sports. And Healthy Roster has even a bigger vision than that, and we'll talk a little more about that later, but uh, Nathan's definitely got a lot of insight into what it takes to be an entrepreneur, and we hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. Before we get to that interview, though, guys, I want to take a moment and uh, ask you all for a quick favor. Go ahead, pick up that phone of yours you were listening to this on, and uh, check out your podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, uh, whatever you like to listen on. Uh, there will be a subscribe button. And if you click that, it'll make sure that you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. And the last thing we want to do before we start the show is take the time to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, Head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. All right, Conquerors, that's all we got. Let's get this show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Nathan Hurd, and Nathan is the CEO and co-founder of Healthy Roster, a startup with the goal of helping young athletes get the right treatment for their injuries. Before Healthy Roster, Nathan was a part of a couple other startups and worked as CEO for several companies including Go Big Media, a precursor to Startups.co, and Digital Scout, an education technology and sports web company. And welcome to Conquering Columbus, Nathan. How are you doing today? Thanks, guys. Doing well. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. And uh, 
you know, we're here at you guys' office over in uh, Dublin, Ohio. It's a nice place. And uh, you mentioned, you know, you guys are having right now kind of end of the year trying to get those last few deals through. What's that like going for you so far? Yes. So we're in the healthcare space, which means we do basically business to business sales to hospitals, health systems and orthopedic clinics. And so that is an extremely long sales process and cycle. And so end of the year doesn't really matter for them as much because their budget cycles are usually aligned, at least in sports medicine, with high schools. So it's usually a June-July period that their budgets kind of reset. So we don't have a mad dash to spend a lot of budget at the end of the year because it's not technically most of our customers' end of year. To kind of gain a better background on what you guys are doing here, maybe let's start from the beginning and talk a little bit about your path. Um, maybe we can start at college and then talk about your time climbing the ranks of those startup companies, and then we'll jump into what you guys got going on here. Sure. Yep. So I'm a proud uh, graduate of uh, Bowling Green State University, a Falcon, and I actually went to school because I thought I was going to do more of what you guys were doing. Um, I was a tele- telecommunications major, TCOM major, and I thought I'd get into sports radio. Sports has always been a passion of mine. Um, and so I went there thinking, I'll, I'll do something like that after school. And while I was at BG, I was actually um, a sports broadcaster, did a sports radio call-in show on the weekends, and did broadcasting of the football and basketball games. But to be honest, after I graduated, I, I just didn't want to go to the middle of nowhere and start a radio career. Um, I At the time at Bowling Green, it was like 1995, 96, I'd started developing web websites basically back way back in the day. Um, and made a little business out of it, you know, just enough for spending cash and thought, man, I really want to do this. So um, I actually took a job as a technical recruiter right out of Bowling Green, started hiring developers and and um, worked for a consulting company and used an online job board um, to do that. One of the very first developer-only job sites um, before Monster, before any of the existing boards were there called the Atlanta Computer Job Store. And I was really successful in placing a lot of developers at Delta and other southern companies and um, was living in Atlanta at the time and moved back to Columbus after about a year of doing that. And there was no job board here in town. I thought, okay, well, how am I going to do my job if I can't use the technology that made me so successful down in Atlanta? So um, I I built it, um, basically started my first company maybe a year out of school. And it was an online job board. It focused on Columbus and Cincinnati and Cleveland, Indianapolis, a couple of Midwestern cities and markets. And that's really what got my kick. How'd you find a way to monetize that? I mean, obviously, you, know, you had a good idea there, but back in the day, they're probably, it's kind of like the Wild West with the internet and figuring out how to actually make money on it. Yeah, well, I mean, using that um, job board down in Atlanta really kind of paved the way. I didn't have to recreate the wheel. I saw what it did for technical recruiters in, in Atlanta and, and how it started to replace newspaper classifieds. And I thought, oh, same thing can happen here in Columbus. And it did. Uh, we were really successful right out of the gates. Did you just sell advertising spots or was it like commission on every person you place? No, actually it was, we sold to businesses who then paid us to post open jobs. Okay. And then we had a resume database of job seekers. And so we were a matching site basically. Um, just like Monster is today. Uh, we went and sold locally you know, to all of the... Um, all of the consulting firms and all the companies hiring developers and basically they paid us per job posting and and we brought job seekers to those postings yeah so it's almost like a you know like a big advertising board where you guys post you know it's like a billboard for your job post to thousands of people in columbus but so let's talk a little bit about 
you know, where, you know, you mentioned you started it and where to go from there? I mean, you, you ended up exiting the company, correct? We did. Um, I started it. We were, we took off and nine uh, 11 hit and that essentially tanked the job market. So we were on our way to million dollars in revenue in the first, you know, first year and a half, it was going really well. Um, and nine 11 hit and HR purchasing basically stopped because there were just no jobs being added to the economy after that. You know, there was a, big gash in the nation at that point in the psyche and that trickled down into hiring and and how companies felt about adding staff um but we didn't go out of business which was a testament to how um, successful we had been early and, and quickly um so we kind of stabilized and uh and then realized that our best option was to sell to a competing company that was you know already um established a little bit bigger than we were um, so they folded us into the company. It wasn't a huge home run, but it wasn't a loss either. And then we, you know, basically just moved on as that new company. Out of curiosity, I don't want to take from your story, but I'm interested in working at a startup. Do you remember 9-11 and, and what your company was doing that day? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that, which, you know, I don't think most people do that, that were at the age that they understood what was happening. So, you know, we were, I was basically coming into the office and, and um, hearing kind of, radio reports as we were getting that something was going on and we had a TV in the office at that time and I just remember getting in and and uh, you know obviously seeing what was happening at that moment was so powerful you realized at that moment that everything was changing and we we kind of felt at that moment that everything was going to change for our startup there too and um, so it was it was very stark you could tell um, that we weren't going to be the same after that. After you guys got rolled up, what did the path look like from there? Did you stay with the company that rolled you up for a little while? Or? Yeah, actually, um, you know, since it wasn't a home run, a, a lot of our success was tied into what happened after the the initial uh, roll up, and so we had um, earnouts and we had the ability to you know be successful after that if the company did well. And it turns out we we were able to sell that company. Um, the CEO of the company was out of Cleveland, and I I ran the Columbus and and a couple of other regional um, offices. And then we sold that to a company out of the UK who wanted to put kind of their, um, they wanted to get into the job board world here in the US. They were already the biggest over in the UK. So that was successful. And at that point, you know, I had kind of completed what I set out to do with that and um, went from there and, and looked at what I was going to do next. When what was that? What was next? It was um, another company. Yeah, the holding company was called Caster Ventures, but we basically made websites where we take um, video of events that happen and allow organizations to sell access to them. So our idea at that point was, all right, so there are lots of conferences that happen and most people don't get a chance to go to their annual conference. So if you belong to an association and you want to be able to see your, your annual conference, you should be able to access it even if you're not there. And so that was our idea. Um, turns out associations really aren't um, their interest lies in bringing you to Las Vegas or whatever city they're having those annual events in because it's a big way of showing their force and, and the goodness that they bring to the to the members. So we got a little bit of traction and not enough. And eventually we we were able to raise about, uh, we were able to raise angel funding. And it took us for about a year and we just didn't get enough traction. But tying that to the fact that it probably wasn't going to be successful was the fact that the stock market crashed. Mm-hmm. And it literally, in 2008, literally crashed, I'm going to say, a week before I was about to go on and ask for a second round of funding from 
the Ohio Tech Angels, which is the angel group that got behind us. So in my early career, I was amazed and stunned at two life-changing events for everyone. Mm-hmm. Immediately impacted me in my entrepreneurial approach and, and the two gigs that I had started. So it was, um, again, I don't know that that company would have been successful, but we had only really had about a year, eight to 12 months of runway. So um, I'm not sure you can tell anything by that point. And and story was we weren't going to get funding in that environment, so that was the end of that company. Yeah, and then from there you started and kind of went through a variety of different CEO or C level executive roles with a few different companies. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what those were and how you got the healthy roster? Yeah, so I had put in about ten years of being an entrepreneur and being you know a startup guy, and and it's tiring. It's really hard, and what's crazy about it is like. When when you come off a uh, you know essentially a startup that doesn't work, and you have to wrap that up, you know it, it's not only is it a blow to your your ego, it, it you're usually in a position where you've expended everything you had to try and make it work, and when it doesn't, you don't have reserve tanks like you spend everything, um, and quite literally, I was just ready to go do something else that wasn't um, something that was going to drain. Um, you know, both physically and, and financially. So that's when I got an opportunity to work with a couple of um, friends. Um, and the first one was uh, Go Big Network, which was run by Will Schroeder um, at the time. And uh, Will and I were friends just from being in the startup community. Will wanted to go do another startup out in California at the time um, and asked if, you know, I might be able to come in and run what he had already got, you know, got to a point that was surviving and thriving. So that made a lot of sense to me at that time. I was really happy and it was a good experience. So I did that for a couple of years. Will came back um, and then I had another opportunity to kind of take another step um, and take over a company called um, well, Digital School Network, but the main product was Digital Scout. Um, and it go big in Digital Scout. What, what kind of things were you guys, what were your products? Yeah, so Digital Scout, uh, I'm sorry, Go Big Network was really um, like a job board, but it was for funding for startup ideas. So it was basically anybody with a startup idea could come in, post it to a network of, of um, people who are willing to fund those ideas. And so kind of like a job board for, for uh, startup ideas, which is why it was in my wheelhouse and why Will thought that would be a, a great match, which it was. Mm-hmm. What did your team structure look like there? Uh, when I came in, we had, uh, I don't know, we probably had seven or eight employees at that point, And it was mainly developers and um, there were a couple of sales and marketing, but it was mainly SEO and, you know, um, paid search at that time was really kind of new and big. Um, so that's what we focused on really to drive a lot of our results. Um, and then a little bit later, about a year after I'd taken over, we, we purchased a company um, and added a human element to it. It was a call center company. Purchased that, built on a, a consulting arm that really was the precursor to startups.co. Um, enabled startup um, entrepreneurs to get um, a little more detailed uh, help in getting their, their startup ideas off the ground. What did you grow to by the time you guys left or by the time you walked away? Well, uh, I think the I think the call center had about twenty people, so we probably ended somewhere around twenty five. Uh, call center is a high turnover type of environment, but mm-hmm. um, it it did well and, and really, I think is still thriving today. Yeah. So, 
What did you learn at these CEO roles and kind of what, what made you feel comfortable enough after taking some time, not being the guy, not being, you know, the startup, the owner and jumping in and saying, all right, I want to start another company. Yeah. So the, I think the biggest difference is, is you don't have to do it all yourself. Mm -hmm. So like when you're the startup guy and you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to claw and scratch at everything just to get to the next little interval, next little mile marker. When you walk into somebody else's company who's already gone down that path, there are 10, 15 people, sometimes more, um, who are already, you know, have stabilized the business and are pushing it forward. So then, then you can take all the things that you know about how to do sales, how to do marketing, all the things you've learned as being the startup guy, and you can apply those mm -hmm. to a lot of different folks who can then, you know, push those things forward. So, for instance, walking in and, and seeing a sales team and realizing, oh, you just got to tweak this, this, and this, and all of a sudden you get, you know, you get X percentage more out of that group. Um, and then mentoring those folks that are already in those positions and helping them kind of, you know, push their boundaries and push their, their success levels. Was there any opportunity to grow into startups.co with that kind of umbrella they were creating, or did you just want to kind of move on and, and go to another place? Yeah, I, it, it wasn't, um, it was interesting. I just got an opportunity. I knew Will was coming back. We kind of talked about, um, running things together, but it was Will's baby and Will's company. So, um, and that wasn't a problem for me. I really liked Will and, and, I think and still do obviously very highly of him so but it just I had a chance to run a bigger company and uh, and so I took that so Nathan let's talk a little bit about healthy roster uh, kind of how did you guys get started here at healthy roster was it your idea did you have co-founders yeah so I actually have two co-founders uh, Dan Franzak and Sean Price and we had actually worked together so we we've known each other for a number of years felt really comfortable and I think the overriding thing we wanted to do is we wanted to get together and do something um, and that was really key for us okay so the three of you guys are working together on this but i guess what was the problem you guys were looking to solve where did the idea from healthy roster come from yeah so i have to backtrack that just a bit into the okay. digital scout days the digital scout days um, i took over a company um, that basically made apps for high school coaches to do live stats of football and basketball games mm -hmm. And when we got there, revenue had, had really taken a nosedive. It was hard to sell directly to coaches. You know, less and less high schools were paying for those types of things, so coaches were going out of pocket. So we decided to turn that around and make it a free product for coaches, but take the data that was coming off of the, the live stats that these, these coaches were taking during games and create an ESPN GameCast for high school football uh, and basketball. And we were the first ones to do that. We had thousands of games every Friday night going because we had – six seven thousand high schools using our apps so that was a really fun period of time mainly because you know i love sports love love the high school level um as we did that and and made that a successful product we then sold that company to a company out of atlanta who basically ran the website for the national federation of high school uh sports and so the nfhs is kind of like the ncaa but for high school and so the guys that bought us ran the website that did live stream video of all the state championships. And so they, they bought us so we could kind of plug our data into there. But what we did when we did that is we got a lot of exposure to the state high school associations and the folks that were running those groups. And their number one overall fear was that the concussion blowback from the NFL um, was going to damage high school sports and in specific 
you know, high school football and threaten it. And so that was a big worry of theirs. And as we decided that, you know, after selling the company that we were ready to do something on our own, um, you know, we kind of started to think about, well, how do we affect that problem? Or, you know, how do we come up with a solution? And so we really focused on what we perceived as the biggest problem, which was there was a lack of athletic trainers across the nation and that the communication between the athletic trainers, the parents and the coaches weren't always crystal clear. So we built healthy roster, not just for concussions. That was just the impetus for us to start thinking about this. But we, we built healthy rosters so that we could connect parents, athletic trainers and coaches all together in one app to talk about any injury that happens. And not just for high school kids, but college, college players and then um, adults who are in training for marathons or just, you know, weekend warriors and even industrial athletes that work in factories that get injured. So our app basically was a communication platform for injuries, tying whoever was connected to those injuries together. Like our wrestling team could have just had our own app. <laughs> we, we just had a whole mess of injuries going on. There's no doubt. And OSU is actually one of our, our biggest and one of our first customers. So mm-hmm. um, Ohio State's been fantastic. But they run sports and rec through us. And they also run their high school sports through us. So while we don't do a lot of the team levels, we do a lot of the other groups uh, around the OSU sports medicine, including the band. So, you know, we, we kind of touch different pieces for those that don't have athletic trainers that are, you know, always traveling with them. You know, there's a need, you know, you go away from your athletic trainer and all of a sudden injuries happen. That communication is key at that moment. So in high school, when you go away to an away game and your athletic trainer doesn't come, maybe you're not on the football team, maybe you're on the field hockey team. And maybe that athletic trainer is not able to go to every field hockey event. Maybe it's just practice. Maybe the AT is somewhere else. You know, the communication on the injury at the time of injury, the coach being able to reach the AT, mom or dad being able to understand what's happened with the injury before, you know, the kid gets home and forgets to tell you. Um, that was what was key to us. So what does that communication platform look like today? Like, maybe take me through, if it's possible, like a user experience if I'm either a high school or college level athlete. Sure. So I'll give the high school level athlete first. Um, the athletic trainer uses our app to document and track every injury that happens to every every kid in the high school sports. So we, we help the AT upload the roster of, of kids that he or she is taking care of. And then when an injury occurs, the athletic trainer pulls up that, that child um, and that athlete in our app and notates an injury. And then that injury then is communicated back to mom or dad who also has the app and has also been invited in by the athletic trainer at the time of the roster upload. So the moment an injury happens, mom or dad now understand that something's gone on. Um, And then when that injury is in the system, every point of communication is then tracked. So, okay, so you get hurt, the athlete gets hurt on the field, the AT says, you know, that that looks like a pretty nasty sprain, um, but we're just gonna have you apply ice to it or we're gonna have you rest and elevate, whatever the directions are, not only is he or she telling the athlete, but he or she is also putting into the app and then mom or dad know exactly what's happening. So when they get home, recovery can continue at a good pace because mom or dad know what to do as well. And then let's say that that injury looks a little more severe. And so the athletic trainer the next day says, you know, you really do need an MRI on this. So the athletic trainer then puts in a referral for you to go see a doc who takes care of your team or 
or just their recommendation on an on a orthopedic surgeon so that you can get an MRI. And that referral is then given out to mom in the app or mom or dad. And then when the referral comes in, mom or dad not only gets to see the doc, can do research on who the doc is, can see where the office is, can get directions, and can even be and can even select a, um, an appointment time through our app. So what it's doing is it's tracking everything, it's communicating around an injury, and most importantly, and the reason why hospitals buy our, our solution, is it's streamlining the process of getting you in when necessary to a doctor's office, mm -hmm. to their doctor's office. So where do you find the biggest points? Because what I'm seeing in my head, like, I think would be difficult is getting all of these parties on board to buy in. Because if you do, you have a plat like platform with really high value. But if you miss one, you kind of struggle a little bit. So for you guys in your selling process, who are you targeting and where are you finding the biggest friction points? So we sell to the hospitals and the health systems because they're the ones who employ the athletic trainers. So what most people don't realize is that the athletic trainers standing on the sidelines on football Friday nights, they usually don't work for your high school. They usually work for a health system who's contracted them out at the high school. And in today's environment, sometimes they're just given for free in exchange for the ability to be the athletic trainer and, and healthcare provider of that school. And the reason they do that is because sports medicine at a healthcare company is basically an outreach um, uh, method for the hospitals to gain um, one to gain uh, more valuable face time with parents for them to understand what brand is taking care of their kids and then also you know to earn a chance to earn the business when an injury does occur um, you don't have to go to your athletic trainers um, hospital or, or health systems hospital but often mom or dad feel you know a connection with the athletic trainer it's a the the community outreach part is real you know these people are taking care of your kids every day and they're there when the injury happens and they're quality trained, you know, certified professionals. It, it carries a lot of weight with mom and dad. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think, you know, and on the hospitals end, not only are you, you know, getting the chance to get your name in front of these people and, but, you know, your system makes it as easy as possible for them to come in and say, hey, I want to schedule an appointment at this hospital at this time. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, from a value standpoint, but um, how, how do you guys monetize it? Like, what are you guys? How do you guys bracing your pricing? Are you basing off the size of the hospital, number of students on the app, number of transactions that are going on? Actually, we we do it on a, a seat license basis um, on the number of athletic trainers that the health systems have. So it allows us to do two things. One is it allows us to maximize um, the amount of you know get paid for the amount of um, athletic trainers that are using it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. We're able to make it free to the parents. So that there's no friction layer there, like mom or dad doesn't want to pay 10 bucks to access the app. They don't have to. It's provided to them by the health system, which is another win for the health system. And then it also allows us to take smaller high schools that actually do hire their own athletic trainers, because there are a portion of high schools in the U.S. that still do mm -hmm. that. They can still use our solution and still have a tracking system without, without it getting out of control cost-wise for them. How much does it cost? And we don't have to get into this if you don't want, but how much does it cost per athletic trainer if we can talk about like numbers? Yeah, um, you know, we charge on an annual basis and it's a few hundred dollars on an annual basis per athletic trainer. Um, we also have some pricing that allows us to connect to the electronic health record of that health system, mm -hmm. which is really big in our industry. No one has, one, Few, if any, have ever put out an app specifically for the athletic trainers to do their job and do it well. So mm -hmm. we were kind of the first to get out there and do that. Secondarily, no one has actually taken the athletic trainer's data 
and allowed it to become part of the health systems data through their EHRs. So in the health systems, they've spent literally millions and, and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to integrate large electronic health record systems. Um, Epic and Cerner, and these are some of the bigger names, Athena Health are some of the bigger names of these solutions that hospitals do. But they're athletic trainers because they're outreach and aren't using daily computers that are provided by you know your big health systems. That data always sits on an island. It may be on a computer that the AT has, but it's not connected to the health systems network. And so that data doesn't go into Epic. It doesn't go into Cerner until now. And that was a really big thing that we just, actually, we just uh, announced it last week, our first successful integration with Athena Health. We've got three or four customers that are live now with Athena Health. And now anything that goes into healthy roster, um, any injury information gets pushed into Athena so that their orthopedic surgeons and docs, they now have all of the notes from the from the athletic trainers, which makes like perfect sense, mm-hmm. but until now it wasn't automated. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you see that that integration piece is gonna be key across a lot of different industries. Like for us currently at FMX, that integration piece of being able to combine with other systems and input data into other systems and transfer back and forth is is turning into a really key feature for a lot of people. But uh, what I want to talk to you about is, I mean, you guys are pretty early stage. How long, How when exactly did you start? Yeah, so 2016 is basically, January of 2016 is when we, we launched the product and mm-hmm. started really actively really? getting out into the market and selling to anyone. Okay, so, you know, a little over two years in, well, closing in on two years. Um, what's been your biggest challenge so far? Honestly, just the length of sales process that we've we've. Um, we've been introduced to in the healthcare arena. That wasn't something that we were really ready for. Um, you know, our pre- my previous couple of gigs and my co-founders um, had experience all the way back to the digital scout days. I mean, I, I didn't go into this blindly. I went in with guys that I knew and trusted, mm-hmm. um, and and they did as well. They came in with me, knowing and, and trusting my background. But we've never spent 18 months selling a you know a health system on a solution. We, our sales cycles were much faster. You know, school districts. You know, we, we had a business that sold websites to school districts and, you know, maybe those took 90 days on the, on the, you know, the long end of things. Um, and then getting high school coaches going, we could get that in a day. You know, it was, they were much shorter. So that's probably been our biggest struggle is how do you take funding? How do you build out the technology to the level that you need to be and have sales catch up quick enough before you're out of funding? We've actually been really successful in raising funds here as well. So um, you know, we've had great um, support from from um, Angel and, and VC here in Columbus and in Central Ohio and actually throughout the state of Ohio. And now it's just how do we sell enough so that we don't have to keep getting on that train of, you know, bringing in, you know, money to survive. We're, we're getting pretty close, which is kind of cool. How do you feel about working with healthcare versus your past or working with schools and those other industry segments? Like we find that Working with schools is nice because they pay and, you know, I mean, it's secure and it's, it's a good industry to do business with. Is that the same with healthcare? I think so. Um, you know, it's still young, you know, two years in. So what I can say is that I think that when you are finally successful in selling a product to a hospital or health system or ortho group like we do, um, and, and the product is what they think it is when they buy, um, they are ultra engaged with you and, and are not looking to constantly find out what else is out there. Um, so you get loyal customer bases that are interested in helping you build out the product even further. We've had a lot of success with working with very closely with 
a couple of our big customers to say, all right, tell us, you know, what, what can we do to make this even better than what it is? And, um, you know, we're, you're never at a point where you think you've, you've nailed it. Like there's nothing else you can possibly do. Right. So if you're always listening and you're always trying to figure out what else do we need to add to make this better? Um, we found good partners in, in these health systems to do that. What well, can we talk about, you know, as we start to kind of close in, in terms of team size, uh, I don't know if, you know, number of customers or anything like that you're interested in talking about, but like, what do you guys look like at this point today? Well, we're in 33 states, 34 states. Um, we have over 100,000 athletes in the system. Um, yeah, we're closing in on, uh, we might be at 35 states. I was looking at your board over That's here. Right. Like, Wait a minute, 35. <laughs> well, they cha- it, it does change. So I think we did add a, we did add a new state today. Wow. So the fun part is um, we're growing at a really rapid pace. Um, you know, and, and our goal obviously is to get, um, to cash flow break even and to get profitable as, as quick as we can to get off the, the need for continuing to, you know, join the club. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the goal. I mean, I think anybody that, that lives in central Ohio and wants to build companies need, they, they need to have a realistic viewpoint of, you know, there's a limit to the amount of funding that you can get here. Um, great ideas will always be fundable. So it's whether you're here in central Ohio, you're in, in Silicon Valley or in Boston, it doesn't matter. Great ideas will get people behind it, but there are limitations to how much funding you can you can raise in, in an area like this. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest, we just, you don't need that much. You really should, you know, I think power your business to get um, to profit or break even as, as quickly as possible. I feel similar. I also, though, there's a dynamic that I never really caught on to until I started studying like platform businesses where, you hit a point where you're competing with another company that does have a lot of funding backing on and they're gaining this large customer segment quickly and starting to gain this momentum. And obviously, you know, when you come to a platform, the more people you have, the more value you're producing. So like you hit this weird dynamic, which I'm interested to hear your, your opinion perspective on through, throughout your entrepreneurial career where you say, okay, do I do this organically? That feels right. I don't grow with other people's money. I don't have the fear of maybe I won't hit cash flow or won't hit profitability. Or do you, put the pedal to the metal and try to get as much momentum as quickly as possible before somebody else beats you to the market. It's a really weird mix of both. Um, we've taken, you know, um, we've taken a good amount of, of angel and VC money. So it's not to say that we haven't done that. I feel that that is true. You are in a race and it does matter how quickly you get good product out there. It is, it is a race to see how many great customers you can bring onto your platform. Um, I will say that healthcare and and specifically being HIPAA compliant, which is a necessity, um, puts up a barrier to entry that most industries don't have. Um, I'm fairly certain most platforms can be replicated in a day, not well, but can be, you know, coded quickly and and thrown out to the market. Um, That's not the same here in healthcare. You've got to go through a lot of hoops and a lot of um, a lot of pain points to get HIPAA compliant and to do things the right way. How long did that take you guys to get the HIPAA certifications? Oh, uh, well, you can't launch until you have it. So it, it took a better process, better point of about a year to get there. Um, and, and, you know, to stay there, there's some cost involved in that as well. Um, you know, constantly having, um, you know, companies come through and make sure that your, your technology is secure and, and privacy is, is protected. So. And as we, we start to wrap up, um, we kind of got a, a late start. We don't want to keep you all evening, but I'm interested to just kind of hear what does the future look like for you and your team? And uh, obviously your guys' goals to grow, but maybe 2018, now that we're closing on the end of 2017, you know, what's your vision? 
Yeah, so we're about to take our product outside of the sports medicine group and, and start introducing Healthy Roster to the ortho docs and the, the nurses and the um, physician assistants that take care of patients as they go through surgery. So we've got the front door and we get them to the doctor's office. We want to help with the back end of that as well. You go through surgery, you go through physical therapy, you're using Healthy Roster all the way through. Um, so that's that's been an exciting push for us. We're um, partnering with uh, Stanford Children's um, to roll that that out this year in 2018, first quarter. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, that does sound exciting. So the, if I'm getting this straight, then Healthy Roster will be able to help not only communication between you know the patient and maybe the parent and the ortho, but also the ortho, the patient, and the PT, and the ortho, and like kind of keep those. There's a lot of loops. I'm making a lot of motions with my hands here, guys. But um, you know, kind of keep everybody connected. For sure. And not only um, are we talking about taking a youth athlete through that process, we're also talking about well, what happens to the, to the patients that are coming in for new hips or new knees that aren't athletes and haven't used healthy roster on the front end. Can they now use it? Because the communication from the orthopedic office to the patient going through a hip replacement, and then with home health, you know, home health aides or skilled nursing facilities. That's ultra important as well. And those are disconnected groups usually. So the orthopedic surgeon doesn't often have interactions with home health. And yet their compensation and the way Medicare bundles payments now is connected to that. So if you go to a skilled nursing facility or home health and you get readmitted because something's gone wrong and the ortho surgeon didn't know about that, well, then that ortho surgeon, if they're doing bundle payments, can get dinged on that. And so there's a, there's a large need for better communication all the way through the process, and that's what we're hoping to bring to the table. And when you, um, I'm trying to think of a word that I, that I describe, when you bring all those communication networks together and you make a cohesive kind of flow there, the amount of data that you're getting, I mean, you guys got to, if you guys hit that threshold, you got to be able to monetize that as well. I mean, it's going to be insane how much you can help people open their eyes to what's going on and those processes that's normally probably lost between these different communication points. Yeah, two things there. I think one is the data is really important to the orthopedic surgeons. And so doing research, and a lot of them do at that level, knowing about the injuries, what type of injuries are happening, what age groups, what sports, what, you know, how, many, uh, how many times a, a kid has been injured, how long recovery takes, that's all really important data to them. So that's a large reason why health systems from the top end really feel strongly about using a system like ours is they can mine that data out of our reports. Um, and then secondarily, you know, our, our data... Um, is also used on the patient side. It's really important for the patient to understand what's going on in their history and be able to look back and see what happened at each stage of things. And I think today you go in and you're getting a hip or a knee done and maybe that's not us yet or hopefully not us for a while, but think about that. It's like those are really life-changing surgeries. They're not you know, they're not resetting a broken arm anymore. They're, they're things that are going to stop your mobility or, or change your mobility, at least temporarily. And the medications and the recovery processes and the things that you're being told at each stage, they're really important. And having a way to track that and not just rely on what the doc told you while you were in shell shock that you had to have a hip replaced, that becomes super important as well. So giving that data back to the actual patient is really important. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Trust me. I mean, I had my right knee done when I was in college, just a meniscus, nothing crazy. Yeah. But uh, the other day, I couldn't remember which knee it was. So uh, if I had a healthy roster on, I might have been able to look back at my data and figure out exactly, oh, yeah, it was my right knee. Probably but, bigger uh, issues and more medication than you need. Right, yeah, maybe there's something that. else going wrong with me. But 
No, but I mean, to your point, you mm-hmm. don't know now which knee, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can find yeah. it out. But <laughs> but the reality is, you know, as you go and start to do more things in your life mm-hmm. and you start to do weekend warrior stuff and all of a sudden your knee gets creaky, which one was it? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that is a very small sample, but it's, it's apropos for um, giving the power back to the patient. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last question we have for you focuses around our theme on the show here, uh, which is live uncomfortably. So what do you think of when you hear the phrase, what's it mean, how does it apply to your life? I actually think that that's a great phrase. Um, so any entrepreneur has to be okay with taking risks that normal people don't. And sometimes you know that going in and sometimes you don't and you figure it out after. But in the end, I think all successful entrepreneurs figure out that they're okay living on an edge that most people aren't. Um, I will also say that I think that um, living uncomfortably, I think, can be applied to one really important f- factor that I think has made us successful so far is that we were able to sell this idea before we had a finished product. I think so many people spend so much time thinking about their idea and trying to make it perfect before they get out there and sell it. And they spend tons of money and you know, creating the actual product, paying people to develop it before they have any earthly idea of if anybody's going to buy it or anybody really commits to buy it. We had three or four different customers, paying customers before our, our, um, before our finished product even hit the market. And that was really important. That gave us, one, it gave us enough uh, belief in our product that we could, we could do this and, and go forward on it. And two, so it gave us enough revenue to make things real. And, and sometimes that's all it takes. You know, everybody was willing to jump in and give us um, money when it came to fundraising, knew that we had paying customers and knew that they were big brands. And so they were betting on us. And that was important to those folks. So before you do any building, sell. And if you can't sell what you're pitching, then change it and figure out what is, you know, something that people will buy. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it a lot, Nathan. And uh, you have any last words of advice for our listeners before we let you go? Do it. Just, just take take the chance. Um, you'll figure out whether it's for you or not after after a bit. But there's enough. What's amazing now is there's enough information on the web podcasts like you guys. There's enough um, content out there that a lot of the mystery's gone. Which is good because I, I tell everybody like, man, you want to have coffee and, and understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur? I'll, I'll meet you for coffee. I don't care who you are, what you're doing. My give back is if I can avoid one pitfall for you, if I can help you avoid just one singular pitfall, it's worth it. Um, because the road is not easy. And, uh, but go do it because it's, it's completely rewarding. Yeah, well, hey, Nathan, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thanks a lot for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. And Conquerors, thanks for listening. We uh, really appreciate it. Hope you guys learned a lot. That's Nathan Hurt, CEO and co-founder of Healthy Roster. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, We want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. 
Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.